Hey, welcome to the Week Critique Podcast. This week, I'm joined by my old friend, Ian Graham. Hello. So, Ian, you haven't been on the podcast before. Um, I'm just going to briefly talk about how we know each other. We go all the way back to, what was it, second grade? Yeah, second grade. Yeah, when we started taking like math classes together, and we were best friends all the way throughout uh, elementary school, and in third grade we started a band (laughs) and unlike me you've actually stuck with music which is super cool so do you want to talk briefly about like your history with music yeah um so i guess going back to the very beginning i just moved to arizona and i had this little piano and i'd sit behind it um, with my grandma and i just kind of pick out songs that i like to play so that kind of like laid the foundation that I was interested in music. And then in first grade, kindergarten and stuff, I was I was a pretty like like a bad kid kind of. <laughs> like I got into trouble a lot, so my parents were like we need something to keep him busy. So they put me in piano lessons and I took on to it immediately. Um but my relationship with music was pretty uh pretty just Piano-centered, classical. I like the Shrek soundtrack and everything, but, <laughs> but like, who didn't? And yeah, then, of course. And then we got to second grade, and I met Cade, the biggest Beatles fan in the world. Yeah. Um, and I got the, the Beatles 1 CD, and that was my first CD, and I right. listened to it nonstop. Wow. And we formed this band um, called Phoenix Five. But we didn't have five people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually, uh, your friend Dylan joined. So. And then we lowered it to the Phoenix Three. <laughs> yeah. Even though it was just the two of us performing in the talent shows, we would still call ourselves the Phoenix Three. I don't know. It was <laughs> okay. a mess. It doesn't add up. <laughs> it doesn't. But it was good nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. So we did talent shows, and I uh, started getting into more different instruments. Started finding other musicians that I like to make music with through high school, joined jazz band. Um, so that exposed me to a lot of cool players. And then when it came time to apply for colleges, I applied to a couple schools for English. And then I applied to Berkeley College of Music. Um, and I auditioned there, got in, and I said, let's do it. <laughs> so yeah. that's where I'm at right now. I'm studying film scoring, and I'm in my fifth semester. So you mentioned that you're studying film scoring, and that is what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about our five favorite film scores of all time. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, we're going to go through some news, talk briefly about some new releases, and then we'll get to it. So in the news... Uh, a few weeks ago was the PlayStation Showcase. I'm just going to rattle off some names of some games that they showed off there. They showed off the Demon Souls remaster, which I'm super excited about because I love the Dark Souls games, and I haven't gotten around to playing that 
original From Software, Dark Souls style of game. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West, the follow-up to Horizon Zero Dawn, which I finished a few weeks ago and really enjoyed. And Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is like a spin-off game as far as I can understand, centered around Miles Morales in the world of that Spider-Man game that they created in 2018. So that should be really exciting. Also, the Xbox showcase happened a few days ago where they showed off gameplay from Halo Infinite. I know you and I used to play some like Halo Reach, Ian. Yeah. And they announced a new Fable game, which a lot of people are excited about. Avowed, which is a new RPG from Obsidian, which was recently acquired by Microsoft. And Grounded, which is also an Obsidian game, which is like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style scenario, but and in a sort of like survival crafting game. So you have to like build up um, structures in the dirt and like fend off giant ants, which are actually regular sized ants, but you're just really tiny. <laughs> and uh, Comic-Con is going on right now online, I think, and they announced a prequel series to The Witcher on Netflix. I watched the first season because I'm pretty into fantasy stuff and I enjoy the games. So hopefully that'll be good. I wasn't a huge fan of the first season of The Witcher TV show. And also, Michael B. Jordan of Creed and Black Panther fame has launched the Change Hollywood Initiative where he is advocating for, let me pull it up here. The platform for the Change Hollywood Initiative is to divest from police, invest in anti-racist content, invest in black talent and careers, and invest in black communities, which is obviously very prescient. And I think it's great to see celebrities actually taking action to improve things rather than, I don't know, what a lot of people are doing, which is just tweeting and not necessarily getting things done. Right. Right. It's kind of hard to transition from that to something like talking about an Andy Samberg movie, but I'm going to go for it. Um, in new releases, Palm Springs came out a couple of weeks ago. It's a comedy on Hulu starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, who was the mom in How I Met Your Mother. And this is like a time loop scenario like Groundhog Day, except both of them are going through the same day over and over and over again i haven't been able to check it out i definitely want to get around to that soon i don't have hulu though so <laughs> i'll have to wait till i could get another trial or something have you heard of that movie have you like looked into that at all i haven't no i'm looking it up right now though yeah i know it's gotten a lot of positive uh, reviews i know uh sean fennessy specifically from the ringer liked it a lot so i'm looking forward to checking that one out oh yeah and also in recent releases, Ghosts of Tsushima, the PlayStation 4 exclusive Samurai Epic by Sucker Punch came out on the 17th. And that I have just sitting waiting for me on my PlayStation, but I haven't had time to get around to it because I've been pretty busy with other stuff. But I really, really am looking forward to playing that game. It got a bunch of great reviews and I'll give my impressions in the future after I play it. There's actually a Kurosawa mode in that game. I assume you're familiar with Akira Kurosawa, Ian? Um, can you remind me? <laughs> he directed, like, Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, a bunch of the, like, classic samurai movies. I don't and think I've seen any of his movies. I, I haven't seen any of them either, but he's, like, one of the most famous Japanese directors for sure. Yeah, Seven Samurai's been on my list for a while. Yeah, and I know Yojimbo 
both Seven Samurai and Yojimbo were super influential on like Western uh, Western movies. I was trying to say like Western movies from the West, but that just came out <laughs> as Western Western. I don't know. <laughs> on Westerns, like the uh, Magnificent Seven and Yojimbo, I think specifically inspired a Fistful of Dollars, the Clint Eastwood spaghetti Western. Oh, right on. We're going to talk about that later. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Just dropping a little hint. Yeah. And I think that's really all the news and releases I have to talk about. So if you're ready, I say we just get into the best scores. Yeah, let's Our do it. favorite scores. And I don't know about you, but I haven't really ordered mine at all. I have a loose order, but like nobody take it as my truth i'm not gonna stand out of order (laughs) these are just five movies that i like the scores of all right um before we start i think for people who haven't studied film it can be sort of confusing the difference between a score and a soundtrack and since you have i mean you're more qualified to talk about that than i am so do you want to explain the difference yeah yeah just super like brief overview yeah. In film, producers or directors will contact a composer to write what's called the underscore of the movie, which is a piece of music that is either heard by the characters or not heard by the characters in the movie, but just serves as like a like a underscore of the action or the mood or the dialogue that's going on on screen. Um, so that's probably the biggest job of a film composer. Um, And then there's also the soundtrack, which a lot of people are probably like more familiar with. It probably comes to mind first, which is choosing pre-existing songs um, to go into the movie to complete the vibe um, of a scene or to like, like a well-placed pop song could help further the action of a scene by like playing on the radio or something. Um, there are a few like Tom Cruise moments where he's listening to a song on the radio and it kind of recounts like what's going on. Right. But, and like historically, the soundtrack was a big kind of effort to sell records actually for for the producers. Because if, if you're watching a movie and then you hear a few songs that you like, you're going to go out and buy the soundtrack. So nowadays it's a... It's definitely a hybrid of the two. Cool. That was pretty informative. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let you start with your honorable mentions. Okay. Just uh, going through these pretty quick. Honorable mentions are She's Gotta Have It. Um, the Spike Lee? Spike Lee, yeah. His first movie. Bill Lee did the score. Um, huh. I'm like 90% sure that's his dad, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think his sister's in the movie, too. So it's definitely a family affair. Yeah. Um, and then... And it's got a kind of jazz sort of combo sound to it. So small ensemble, which I like a lot. Similarly, Taxi Driver, Scorsese. Yeah. Bernard Herman did the score to that. And it's like this dreamy saxophone-led score, um, which is pretty, pretty vibey. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised how jazzy the score was for that one when I when I watched it. Yeah, yeah, it's does a really good job of just 
showing 70s New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cool. That's one that I've only seen once that I definitely need to check out again. And then my last honorable mention, which I don't know if you finally saw it, but I remember talking about it with you. Is First Cow? Oh, no, I've I've been talking like with my mom and brother about renting it. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It was actually the last movie I saw in a theater um, back oh, in like, yeah. mid-March. Jeez. So I've got fond kind of nostalgic memories for that time. <laughs> um, yeah. But this like kind of alt country musician, William Tyler, does the score and it's really pastoral and a lot of like acoustic guitar used. Very quaint, which I like a lot. Cool. My honorable mentions are Uncut Gems. Nice. And remind me who the composer was there. Uh, Daniel LaPatton. I don't know how to pronounce that. Let me see. But um, there are a lot of like really cool synth electronic vibes in that score. And I think it, I don't know, it did a great job of creating like the atmosphere of the sort of underworld of New York that that movie takes place in. Absolutely. Yeah, that one, that score, I feel like this is my, like, not very well-tested, pretty, probably ignorant guess, but I feel like Uncut Gems, the score to that is a good hint at what the future of scoring is going to be in film. You could probably say that about the whole movie, in a way, because it blends, like, pop culture with your your kevin garnett and your whole right like i don't know there's just something so modern about the story even though it takes place like i don't know a decade ago um and then the way that the music accompanies that just gives it this kind of glamour um like glitzy gem feel but also like real real dirty yeah man i gotta talk about movies with you on the podcast more yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know what you're talking about Call me up whenever. <laughs> yeah. Um, 1917, which was Thomas Newman's oh, score. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's up there with, like, my favorite orchestral scores. Yeah. It, the main theme in uh, Jehenna, I don't know how to pronounce that, towards the end of that track, and then The Night Window are some awesome tracks on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Knight score, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer's probably my favorite composer. Um that one's great. And then finally, Marriage Story from Randy Newman, who is Thomas Newman's cousin, I believe. Mm-hmm. Also famous for like the Toy Story scores, but that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, I love his scores. All right. So on to our five favorites. Okay. How should we do this? Just just give me one and talk about it, and then I'll do one and we'll alternate, I guess. Okay. I like that idea. Okay. Number five. To be honest, this one's still pretty fresh. Um, I haven't, like, written a thesis on it yet. <laughs> I haven't, I I haven't really it. written extensively <laughs> about any of these. So. <laughs> I just watched it a few nights ago. But Suspiria, uh, 1977 version. The, the original, original one. The original. Gotcha. Yeah, the score by Goblin. Have you seen it? No, and I, I'm curious because I know the Amazon like remake got a lot of attention so i'd like to see both versions yeah i would love to see what tom york did um 
Oh, oh did, did he, he compose singer the... of Radiohead? Yeah, he did the new Suspiria. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's the, it's just this really repetitive, electronic-based score that just really fits like a already kind of out there. What's really... the What's the name of the guitarist of Radiohead who he composes the Paul Thomas Anderson films, right? Um, I should know more about Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me see. Let's see. Um, Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he composes a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's, I think, including uh, There Will Be Blood. I've been doing a little Paul Thomas Anderson exploration this quarantine. What have you seen? I watched The Master. That's a great one. Yeah, really awesome. And then Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, those are two of the ones I've seen, and I really enjoy both of those movies. Yeah, super That's different. Now, like, one of uh, two enjoyable Adam Sandler performances, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Including Uncut Gems, which we already talked about. Those are probably the two most uh, memorable. Yeah. Kind of, like, iconic. Kind of the only serious performances I can think of from Adam Sandler. Him, yeah. Yeah, he's one of those actors that's kind of like, I don't know, he feels kind of before my time. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I wasn't watching his type of movies in the early 2000s. So I need right. to go back and check that out. I didn't, I know like a lot of my friends referenced like Happy Gilmore and Waterboy or whatever, but the only one I'd really seen was Bedtime Stories Oh yeah. for some reason. <laughs> no, I, I saw Bedtime Stories a couple of times. Happy Gilmore was, it's a really good one. Huh, I'll have to check it out, I guess. Click, click, that one hit me hard back when I was like 12. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Back when we used to watch like comedy clips on your computer just on repeat. <laughs> yes, compilations. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody about um, Across the Universe. Oh, yeah. The musical. Right. And I was like, man, my friend Cade and I, we just, I think I bought that movie when I was like 10. Yeah. I remember like pulling it up on the, the iPod, just listening to some Beatles. Yeah. I think that was the first time I saw boobs in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Me too, honestly. <laughs> Very formative times. Didn't know what to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty alarming. Uh. <laughs> All right. So, ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, what's your what, number five? What movie were we talking about? I don't even remember. Um, we were um, talking about Suspiria. Tom York. Suspiria, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, my number five is A Ghost Story, which is one that I also saw pretty recently, uh, composed by Daniel Hart. And it's got a really interesting atmosphere. I really don't have the sort of education to talk technically about these movies like you probably can so it's gonna be a lot of me talking about vibe and atmosphere and i don't know i mean but that's the most important part i guess so it's how how the audience responds to it so don't limit yourself man yeah even if you haven't seen the movie which i mean i can understand it's a pretty weird movie starring casey affleck and rooney mara there's a like a 10 minute one shot scene where it's just Rooney Mara like eating a pie until she throws up 
which is really weird. I was just like, what is going on? But it takes like some interesting turns. I really enjoyed the movie overall. And if you haven't seen it or haven't listened to the music, check out. I mean, some of my favorite tracks are The Secret in the Wall, Whatever Hour You Woke, and Thesaurus Tus. I don't, I don't really know how to pronounce that, but check them out. All right, your number four. My number four watched pretty recently, um, Fistful of Dollars, as we talked about briefly about before. Yeah. That's a 60s Sergio Leone um, spaghetti western scored by Ennio Morricone, who recently passed away yeah, a few weeks I, ago. I was reading about that. Yeah, and when the news came out, like... I'm still I'm definitely still new to this to this world of film scores. So I was like, man, I haven't seen any of his movies except for like Hateful Eight. Um Oh, he composed Hateful Eight, I didn't know that. He did, yeah. Yeah, so Fistful of Dollars popped up and I watched it and loved it. Um really really fits that small town western feel and uh just so so Clint Eastwood can't separate the two which is a a good sign of a iconic score have you seen unforgiven no it's sort of like breaking down the western mythology and it's directed by and stars clint eastwood and he's sort of like this like legendary figure but then the farther into the movie you get the more you realize he's really not glamorous at all he's like this dirty old man who used to be like a terrible criminal and now he's kind of pathetic and it's just a super interesting reimagining of the western film and with all that history with those spaghetti westerns that Clint Eastwood is super famous for it just given extra meaning I guess so wow yeah it's interesting that he took that role yeah I mean I can't imagine it being played by anybody else Given his, right. like, he's the poster for the genre, at least in America. Yeah. So that's super interesting. I need to check that one out. All right. My number four is kind of cheating because it's three movies. It's the Lord of the Rings trilogy composed by Howard Shore. And, I mean, this is up there with, like, Star Wars as far as having just pure volume of memorable tracks on it i i mean the lord of the rings are some of my favorite movies of all time and i can hear like pretty much any track from any of those movies and instantly know where it's from and instantly like be washed with nostalgia for those movies because they were such an important part of my childhood but i mean some tracks like even star concerning hobbits twilight and shadow they're all so iconic and for good reason they are incredible so lord of the rings it's kind of I don't know. Seems kind of obvious, but I love them. <laughs> yeah, that's one that I shamefully still haven't haven't seen. I think I've yeah, started I to it. <laughs> I started the third movie, um, but yeah, I just never. That's a weird place to start. I think I was at your house. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> we had some project in like fifth grade where we wanted a volcano in the background. So my idea was to like bring over the third Lord of the Rings movie and just have like shots from the volcano. But then I think I forgot it. So we just used like footage from YouTube or something. I don't know. Yeah, dude. Uh, Yeah. Check them out. Yeah. I just found that video recently. 
I'll send it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> With Curtis. Oh, I don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> Shout out to Curtis Ostertag. If you're yeah. out there listening. I wonder if he is. I don't know. I, I mean, I've posted about the podcast like once on Instagram, and I know he follows me on Instagram, so. Yeah. That'd be interesting. We need to start a campaign to get Curtis uh, to call in. Oh, yeah. The three of us recording a podcast. That would be really interesting. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sweet. Look forward to that, listeners. Yeah. Give us give us a couple weeks. We'll put something together. Yeah. <laughs> I love how I just like uh, kind of took over <laughs> the the planning of your podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't have any plans. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know like anything beyond what we're recording today, so Good, good. Take the reins by all means. No. Nah. Awesome. So number three. Number three. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say really about this one that hasn't already been said. But Psycho, um, Alfred Hitchcock, Bernard Herrmann, and it's another one of my, like, it's one that stood out just because of how simple it is. Yeah. Um, and I, I had to do a a little research project on it, so I learned quite a bit about his approach to the score and how, you know, in 1960 to shoot a film in black and white was like a a stylistic choice. Mm -hmm. So to go along with that, Bernard wanted to make a black and white sounding score to accompany it. So he chose a string quartet, but instead of just using standard techniques um, to create like a haunting score, he used um, a lot of extended techniques, so different bowing styles, um, and just brought like a little bit more of a contemporary feel to it, which definitely, definitely works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's like one of those movies that I shamefully hadn't seen until really recently. I was taking a, an online horror films class and that was like the first movie we watched. And that's awesome. I mean, it's like, one of the most effective scores in a horror movie. I mean, it's so iconic. Obviously, like the shower scene, the ee, ee, ee. Yeah. Yeah, that. And then, I mean, that one, because I too, I just saw it probably a few months ago mm-hmm. um, for the first time. And you know the shower scene. You know what's going to happen. Right. But the I one mean, that... You've seen it a million times, even if you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, even just parodied. <laughs> like... You know what's going to happen. But the one that actually got me was, I think, when uh, the private investigator goes into the house. The house and goes up the stairs? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like (laughs) the one time where the strings just like, I I freaked out. Yeah, that was like, I was pretty shocked. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it did a great job with that one. Haven't seen the movie. We're going to spoil it. Um, In that scene... Um, as the private investigator goes up the stairs, like, I think it's an overhead camera shot, like bird's eye view almost from the ceiling and like abruptly around the corner, Norman Bates disguised as his mother just like comes out wielding a knife and yeah, pretty shocking. Yeah. But the thing about the shot is that it's not, it's not set up in like a modern horror way. That would be like a, a standard jump scare because it is just that overhead. Right. And without the music there, you would just see, like, Norman Bates running out of the door. Yeah. And you'd just be like, oh, there he is. But there's just, like, that really high violin screech that just threw threw me off. 
All right. My number three is Parasite. Best Picture winner last year. And that was composed by... God, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Jung Jae-il? Is it Jung? I don't know. Do you know how that's pronounced? I don't know. But Parasite kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to foreign cinema, I think. Like, is that the first foreign film to ever win Best Picture? It might be. I think the first non-English speaking. Yeah. Because you probably get some British movie. Right, right. Yeah, sorry, my bad. I meant, like, non-English language, but yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's pretty huge. And it definitely deserved it. I've seen that movie, I think, three times at this point, and I've enjoyed it more each time. Actually, like, coming out of the theater the first time I saw it, I had kind of mixed feelings, but the more I see it, the more I appreciate that movie. Yeah, I know what you mean. the The score is a big part of that. I know what you mean, because I've, I've still only seen it once, and even just after sitting with it for a period of time, I've, like, appreciated it a lot more. And I did right. when I first watched it, but it's kind of this movie that doesn't fit... It doesn't fit a category. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I also didn't know what to expect going into it. I just kind of, like, tagged along with some friends to see it. Um... So they were, like, acting like it was going to be this horror movie, which it wasn't. (laughs) But it's also, like, a really funny movie. Yeah. Like a slow... There were some, like, really funny moments. And it's really effective at blending several genres. Exactly. So I come out of it just like, whoa. What did I just (laughs) watch? That really threw me off, but... And it's got, like, one of the most creative endings... Definitely. Man, I love that movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. The peach montage. It's a peach, right? Right, right. And that's when they play The Belt of Faith, I think, which is maybe my favorite track from that movie. Yeah, that's the one that stood out to me the most, too. That is a great movie. scene. Go watch Parasite. For some reason, when you said peach, I was just thinking of Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> I, haven't heard, I haven't seen that movie, but I've heard so much about that scene. <laughs> I feel like I don't I know. Different, very different peach scene. Yeah, different use for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to number two, I guess. Uh, is it my turn? Okay. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel, scored by Alexander Desplat. It's, uh, I believe, 2014 Wes that Anderson right. movie that. I mean, the two had worked together before on. Moonrise Kingdom, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, both which both of which were excellent, but the setting of the Grand Budapest Hotel, like this old um, Eastern European type of setting, really fit Alexander Desplat's like repertoire or like his style of composing. Right. With um, I don't know, he blends all these. Like string instruments, like your typical orchestral string instruments, but also this cool percussion and probably not mandolins, but mandolin sounding like picked string things too. I don't know. It's just one that. Go ahead. It's it's a score that just really accompanies the setting very well. 
yeah, for those who don't know, the uh, Alexander Desplat also scored The Shape of Water and Little Women, both of which had really great scores. So, I I mean, I haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel myself, but I definitely trust that it has a good score considering um, my familiarity with his other work. Mm-hmm. That one might have won, too. Or that might have been the same year as The Shape of Water. Which, Which one? one? Uh, Grand Budapest. Shape of Water was 2017, I thought. Oh, right. He was, he might have been uh, um, nominated for something else that year, too. I don't know. I just know that pretty much every Oscars, he's he's in the the running for the yeah. award. So, yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's, he's definitely up there with, like, the most prolific modern composers, as far as I can tell. Absolutely. All right, uh, my number two is Joker, and <laughs> I hate putting Joker on lists because of, I don't know, I guess what it insinuates about me, <laughs> considering like a lot of the controversy surrounding the movie, but the thing that I think I love the most about this movie is how well it achieves atmosphere, and it could not do it without the without the Academy Award winning score from Hildur Gonatier. And, like, they even played it on set for Joaquin Phoenix because it was so effective at setting that dark and oppressive atmosphere. You've got some incredible tracks like Bathroom Dance, Call Me Joker, and Following Sophie. Those are three of my favorites. And this score manages to use strings in such a foreboding and dark way that I can't help but just completely buy into that blatant emotional manipulation (laughs) so ian what is your number one score of all time my number one score well this is also cheating but i kind of lumped them all together is the angelo badalamenti slash david lynch uh, collaborations on david lynch's films and tv show twin peaks um primarily blue velvet the straight story and uh, Twin Peaks, the movie too. Um, those scores, I've been getting really into this summer. And I think it's really cool when directors play such a big part in the creation of music or the movie. One like extreme example would be Kubrick in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, yeah, literally and taking John it. Carpenter too, who does a lot of his own scores yeah he was also on my uh on my extras list for dark star um so john carpenter really really cool but david lynch i also just read one of his his autobiography and to hear about his artistic approach and process um being like at once a filmmaker a painter um a TV show maker and a musician is just insane. The way that he doesn't limit himself like that. And you see that, especially I think in Blue Velvet, um, the late 80s movie where, for example, they needed a, a pop song to fit into one scene and David Lynch really wanted this one specific song, but they couldn't get it. They couldn't get the rights or they couldn't get the money to get it in the film. So what happened was David Lynch wrote down lyrics, sent them to Angelo Badalamenti 
to write a song based on. And then Angelo got the lyrics and was like, what are these? These aren't lyrics. They don't even rhyme. It's just like sentences. <laughs> and David Lynch was like, that's it. So, <laughs> so then uh, he was like, okay. And he wrote music to it and it ended up being in the movie and it's amazing. So that's, huh. like I was saying before, a good example of the, the underscore, the instrumental music score supporting the action and the pop song. Yeah, know, it's it's great. Just as like a, a bonus, like what's your favorite use of a pop song in a movie? Oh, that's tough. Um, I mean, one of the most famous examples is uh, Reservoir Dogs. That's what I was thinking. Stuck in the middle with you? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first one that came to mind. Um, I'm trying to think. I think my personal favorite is Where's My Mind in Fight Club. I haven't seen Fight Club. It's not even really towards the top of my favorite David Fincher movies, but it's, I mean, that ending is super powerful, especially because of the use of that song. So, mm-hmm. I think, did you see Isle of Dogs? No, but I would like to. There's a song, I Won't Hurt You, that comes in like halfway through the movie. Um. And I think it's the only like pop song in there. Alexander Desplat did the score also, but huh. the way it comes in and just like the song itself fits so well. Um, I just remember being in the theater, like kind of losing my mind, just like, whoa, this is huge. <laughs> yeah, there, those kind of moments are really cool in yeah. watching movies where you're like, you don't have a lot of like pretext and you don't know, you don't know that influence that like a scene or a movie has had but it's something that you feel while you're watching it i don't know it's hard to put into words but that was one of those moments for me cool all right i'll now go over my number one pick for best scores again i didn't really order these so when i say number one just know it's in my top five somewhere (laughs) um this is interstellar which was composed by Hans Zimmer, the Christopher Nolan sci-fi epic. The score was nominated for an Academy Award. It heavily features woodwinds, pianos, and most importantly, an organ, like a church organ throughout the entire movie, which is a super interesting pairing for like a movie set in space that worked super well for me. Uh, I took this quote from the Wikipedia page. (laughs) Zimmer himself played the solo piano for the scenes in the film near Saturn. He also added a 60-voice mixed choir. Per Zimmer, the concept of air and breath resonates throughout the score as the film revolves much with astronauts in spacesuits. So, there you go. It really effectively captures the grandeur of space and... I don't really know how to describe it, but the overwhelming size, especially in certain sequences in that movie, which I don't really want to spoil, but definitely check it out if you haven't already. So my favorite tracks in that are Cornfield Chase, Mountains, and No Time for Caution. If you just want to like check out the uh, soundtrack on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. And I guess even beyond like a, a simple space kind of like size thing, because, I mean, you can find that in a bunch of different movies. It's right. like the, like, interdimensional 
like huge, crazy concepts that Hans Zimmer had to deal with composing that. Right. And I was also reading, um, leading up to this podcast that Christopher Nolan just gave him like a single page talking about what the story was about and how important the theme of fatherhood was to it. Mm -hmm. And then that ended up like basically, he basically just gave that paper to Hans Zimmer and said, come back to me at the end of the day with some music. And that's where he came back with like the piano and organ fusion to capture like not only the grandeur of space, but also some really important like themes of family and fatherhood. Wow. That's really cool, actually. That, yeah, I mean, we could talk about this all day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that's the end of this best score segment, unless you've got anything else to say. Um, just, I don't know. Maybe this is also a message to myself, too, because I Mm -hmm. definitely am not the best uh, music in film listener but every once in a while if you're watching a movie just just kind of like see what the score is doing just kind of like take a break from the action just like yeah check in with the music i really like that advice because until really recently i kind of just haven't paid any attention to it and that's why basically everything on my list is from the last five years honestly same everything on the list i've watched probably in the last like six months yeah or something it's because it's something you kind of have to pay attention to to really be rewarded by it i guess absolutely all right now that we've finished talking about our favorite scores we're gonna play a game of gag lines so ian i'm going to give you some taglines from different movies and then you're gonna have to guess what those movies are you'll get one guess per tagline that i give you the first movie will have five taglines if you get it on the first tagline you'll get five points then if you get it on the second you'll get four points and so on uh, the second movie will have three taglines, and the points on that will be five for the first one, three for the second one, and one if you get it on the last one. And then the last movie will just have one tagline, and if you can get it on that one, you'll get an extra three points. So the maximum points you can get is 13. Five for the first, five for the second, and three for the third. So right. you're only the second person to play this. Jacob played it once and got three points total. Wow. So, do you think you can beat that? I mean, that's <laughs> stiff competition, but... It is. I'll do my best. I really don't think I'll do any better than that. We'll I guess see. we'll see. The, I mean, it's not exactly something that's going to be super evenly balanced because everybody's getting different movies with different taglines that'll be more or less obvious, so... That's It's true. not really fair, but... <laughs> you can make it super obscure. I yeah. Have no idea. <laughs> All right, so... Movie number one. Here is your first tagline. Uncontainable desire. Man. Do you have a guess? So are these quotes or are they? Just- these are taglines. Okay. Like marketing stuff that you'd see on a poster, maybe. Okay. Stuff that you came up with? No, 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 no. It's like from the IMDb page. Oh, so they've they've been. Yeah, these have like been used. Tried and tested taglines. Okay. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that you can one- guess anything. Um. Uncontrollable desire. Uncontained desire. Uncontainable desire, yeah. Uncontainable desire. Maybe... Let's go with 
Fifty Shades of Grey. That's a that's a good guess, but it is not Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> All right, second tagline: Invading your cinemas. Invading. Um. The B movie. No. Okay. Tagline number three: Misplaced familyhood. What? <laughs> <laughs> Misplaced familyhood. These are like from all sorts of different countries, so some of them yeah. I don't know, might be translated kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uncontainable desire. Invading your cinemas and misplaced familyhood. So it it's about families, it's about desire, and it's about invasions. Yeah. Um. Alien? No. Okay. Tagline number four. Act like you own the place. Can I ask you questions about the movie? Uh, I may not answer them. (laughs) Is it a comedy? Maybe. Do you you have a guess? Act, okay, think misplaced familyhood and act like you own the place. Like, each one gets progressively more specific to the movie, so it should get easier as we go on. Okay. Act like you own the place. And misplaced familyhood. Um. Oh, Parasite. Yep. Yeah. Whoa. That's it. So the last tagline was... The most talked about movie in Korea. Mm. That probably would have given it away if you hadn't already gotten <laughs> So that's two points? There you go. That's two points. Yep. Awesome. All right. You're already two-thirds of the way to the top score. So All right. you got this. All right. Movie number two. These ones are kind of tough. Okay. Tagline number one. I don't smile for pictures. Don't smile for pictures. Yeah, this is tough. Um, I don't know. Uh, Leon the Professional. It is not that, but that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. All right, tagline number two. Just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. And can you repeat the first one? I don't smile for pictures. Just because you have character. I, I honestly don't really understand how these relate to the movie. The last one will be by far the most helpful. So should I just guess some sure. the opposite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has characters. Um, the emoji movie? No. But I get I get the connection you're making there. <laughs> All right, last one. You won't know the facts until you've seen the fiction. Whoa. Um. There's a key word in there. Facts. And fiction. Is it the word fiction? Yes. Um. You might have character. Yeah. No. Is it Pulp Fiction? 
Yes, it's Pulp Fiction. I don't get those taglines. I don't really understand the... <laughs> All right, you're, you're tied for three points. So this is the tiebreaker right oh, here. Sh- Can you get... You only get one guess, and there's only one tagline. You can ask... I mean, take your time. Don't just guess something quickly, because I, I might give you some hints. But <laughs> here's the last one. Okay. In Heroes We Trust... Is this a Marvel movie? Maybe. This is a movie we've seen together. We saw this together. In Heroes We Trust. Think about what that's saying. It's playing off of In God We Trust, written on American currency. Right. It's an American hero. I can think of one American hero off the top of my head. That's that's good. <laughs> he carries a shield. Huh. <laughs> but I only get, I only get one guess. Um, did yeah. we see this in theaters? In Heroes, we did. In Heroes, we trust. And this is... In Heroes, we trust. It's 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 not only an American hero. It's a movie that is sort of political okay like a political thriller even hmm should I be (laughs) you probably can't answer this should I be thinking of a superhero or just like a random hero um think about superheroes okay (laughs) you're really helping me out (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Hero. Political. Is there a political superhero? In America. My gut's telling me to go with the, the captain of America, but. You got a good gut. <laughs> it's a good. <laughs> captain America? <laughs> I'm looking for a more specific answer than that. Something political. Um, so this is a sequel to Captain America. There aren't any of them just called Captain America, at least not in the MCU. True. It went First Avenger, Winter Soldier, and then Civil War. I'm gonna rule out Winter Soldier. Civil War has the most heroes. So I'm yeah. going to go, I'm, okay, final answer, Captain America Civil War. It is Captain America Winter Soldier. What? <laughs> I, I wasn't really thinking, I mean, Civil War is pretty political, but Winter Soldier is like a political thriller more than any of the other Marvel movies. What, what was political <sighs> about it? In that it's like about uh, corruption inside S.H.I.E.L.D., the government agency, and... Oh, that's right. Uh, and it's all about, like, uncovering the secret conspiracy in S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, yeah. Right. So you have just tied yourself at three points in the lead <laughs> on the Gaglines high scoreboard. So, like, Jacob and I are one. Like, we're first place, but I'm the top one. I have you both at first place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can take that. <laughs> Man, that's all hard. Right. That's hard. Yeah. It's not too hard to make them, but I don't, I don't know. 
a lot of movies don't have that many quality taglines. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Like that was yeah. What? That was rough. Yeah, someday someone's gonna have to do this to you, and just <laughs> that would be interesting. See how well you do. Yeah, go ahead and make me one. Yeah, no, I will. All right, we'll have to do that on the next episode. Yeah, that was fun. So, yeah. Um, so that's most of what I wanted to talk about on this podcast. Is there any content you've been watching or listening to lately that you'd like to talk about? I've been watching, let's see, been checking out some Scooby-Doo lately. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Just got to plug that real quick. (laughs) Great film. (laughs) Um, What? What is this? Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Yeah, it's like a hour 15 maybe feature. Interesting. And yeah, it's it's amazing. It kind of really it like... signified a break from the traditional Scooby-Doo kind of formula where they unmask like this human pretending to be a monster at the end. Right. This one deals with some real like ghosts. Really yeah interesting yeah some is there some like deep thematic material there um a lot of depth um mm-hmm. it I might be a mark, little outdated huh mark mark hamill played the character snakebite scruggs <laughs> so that's gotta be like that. one of those career defining performances right i think it i mean if i'm remembering right i think it was like a resurgence for him Right. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't think anybody knew who he was before that. No, he was kind of... Yeah, he was forgotten. Yeah. For sure. Actually, I don't know if he did anything before. That might have been his debut. Yeah, I... And then they brought him back for uh, the... the to play Child's Star Play, War. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to play Chucky and Child's Play. That's that's what everybody knows him for now. I that's think. right, yeah. Kingsman. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he was in Kingsman too. I kind of forgot about that. Oh, dude, have you seen Brigsby Bear? What? <laughs> Brigsby Bear. <laughs> What's this? Um, it's it came out it's in twenty seventeen. Film. Interesting. Yeah, it looked. No, what is this? I didn't end up oh, seeing it. Kyle Mooney, the SNL dude. Just the trailer when it came out and that poster of that like thing in the sky. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that right now. And for those of you just listening to this podcast, look up Brigsby Bear and look at the first image if you haven't seen this movie poster before because it's strange. Oh, hey, guess who produced it? Andy who Samberg. It? No way, dude. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle, baby. Mark Hamill. here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, my plugs are Scooby Doo yeah. and Brigsby Bear. Um, well, which I'll I haven't watch seen. both of those tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I won't. I, I'll absolutely not do that. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't ask you to. Um, I've I've just still been playing Last of Us Two. I'm playing through it a second time with my mom and brother. My mom, who kind of scoffed at the idea that people could cry at a video game, and then like a week later was crying at a video game. <laughs> Has she been playing with you? No, I, I've just been, like, playing, and she's been there watching, and then when 
she gets sick of just watching like the combat sections we just switch to the like youtube supercut of all the story moments oh cool so are, are you familiar with the last of us at all no it's a narrative based game that's set in a sort of pseudo zombie apocalypse but it's really about character dynamics i don't know it's it's kind of hard to like give an elevator pitch but it's some of the best character work i've seen in any medium of fiction and if you don't like if you're not interested in buying like a playstation and the game to play it there are those super cuts on youtube which kind of just get across the story and that's a perfectly fine way to experience it Mm -hmm. so and also oh go ahead just a, a side note um do you know where to find a Nintendo Switch these days? These days, these like days are weird awesome. days. It it's got to be pretty hard. Um, I've got I've got one. I got mine from GameStop like during a Black Friday deal, but they've got to be available online somewhere right now, right? I haven't had any luck over the past few months. Really, people must just like be buying them a ton to yeah. have something to do right now. I'm sure, yeah. And then Animal Crossing dropped, and it was just like the perfect time. Yeah. To get a Switch. Missed out. Yeah, is Animal Crossing, like, one of the things that you'd be interested in playing on it? Like, what else would you... I mean, pretty much just Animal Crossing. I was super into uh, City Folk on the Wii Huh. when I was a kid. So to see that it's come back, I would love to to check out what they've been doing. Yeah, I... I mean, I talked about my mom watching a video game. This has really been a successful summer to me because my entire life I haven't been able to get my mom to engage with video games at all. And this summer alone, I've gotten her to put like dozens, if not hundreds of hours into Animal Crossing <laughs> and also watched me play Last of Us. So it's been interesting. It's a really, really accessible game for people who don't typically play video games. So That's awesome. Does she have a yeah, villager? I, I... She has, yeah, she has a villager on, we share an island, and she's been playing it a lot more than I have recently, actually, but it's a great game. I think I talked about it more at length on a podcast that didn't actually end up going on air, but. I think I heard a little bit briefly on, like, maybe last week's. I think you were talking to Casey about it. Maybe. Yeah, I did. I did briefly mention, like, an update with Casey on last week's. And I know on the first podcast, I think I mentioned some news about it before it had actually come out. But when I was actually, I recorded a podcast not long after the game released where Jacob and I talked about it and Doom Eternal also, I think. But I never put that one up because I just never got around to editing it. And by the time I would have had time to edit it, it was completely outdated and useless. But don't worry, I will get this one up this week. <laughs> yeah, video games are one of those things I've been returning to a lot this summer. Because oh. um, I didn't really play maybe like the last half of high school. Right. So I'm going back to it now and I'm seeing just how outdated all my stuff is. <laughs> I'm playing on an Xbox 360. Right. Um, my main games that I play are Skate 3 and classic uh mlb 2k12 did you hear they recently announced a skate 4 no i didn't yeah it's finally coming back that's insane i'm gonna need to buy a (laughs) a one or a ps4 or something yeah i mean we'll see what that comes it might come out on like the next generation ones like the playstation 5 or xbox series x so whoa 
I'm so <laughs> far behind. You just skipped a generation, man. Wow. Okay. Next time, if you ever have me on again, I need to beef up my video game. Oh, yeah. Knowledge. You are welcome back anytime. <sighs> sweet, sweet. So with that said, I'm just going to give myself a quick Twitter and Letterbox plug, and I think we'll end it there. So you can find me at Cademarks on Twitter and at Cinemarks, spelled C-I-N-E-M-A-R-K-S on Letterboxd. If you want to see my impressions on all the latest movies I've been watching or scroll through the dozens of lists I've made of all my favorites in each genre and my favorites for each director. What about you, Ian? Where can the people find you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, my at is in.grhm. Stands for Ian Graham. Um, or you can check out some of my personal music. Um, under the name Topanga Breakfast on Spotify, Apple Music, any streaming service. Great. Well, it's been awesome catching up with you and talking to you about movies. So we got to do this again. I've loved it. Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah, no problem. And everybody who's listened to the podcast this far, thank you so much. We hope to see you again on the next one. Bye. See ya.